Good morning. Good morning. So good to be here. Thank you, guys. I've been looking forward to uh, coming up here to share the word with you. Um, I, uh, as Matt said, planning back in, in 2007, moved up from, from Maryland to uh, Shrewsbury, New Freedom area that was uh, growing, busting at the seams back then. We're kind of in the midst of another growth spurt now. And so my wife and I felt the call to move there. We're sent out from our church in Maryland, planted back in 2007. We now have four kids that are with us this morning, Simon, Oliver, Jillian, and Sybil, going from 16 to 5. So I don't recommend that family plan, by the way. Um, but uh, no, it's been great. So yeah, we've only been in the X29 network for about a year, but I've known Matt for about two years. And he's just been a super great guy, welcoming me, putting up with all of my questions and um, being gracious and really become a good friend as we've gotten to know each other and, and share ministry and share life together. So looking forward, look forward to our times at the 83 Diner when we meet up and, and chat and connect. It's good. And um, so yeah, excited to be with you guys um, this morning. I've been here for um, different meetings. And, and pastors, prayer times, and things like that, but it's good to be here with you on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, I don't know about you guys, but we're in busy season, right, getting ready for Christmas and all, and all the prep, and uh, just finally got our tree up yesterday, which I know a lot of you are like, loser, you're, you're, you should have had it up a month ago, but, but we, we kind of wait, you know, I don't want to peak too early, so we wait until just a couple weeks so we can peak right at the, at the right time at Christmas Day there. So, um, you know, lights and, and gifts. I was talking to somebody recently who said, like, yeah, we just finally worked out all of our family plans, and when we're going to go to this in-law and that in-law, and her sister's coming into town. So hopefully you've got all that stuff worked out. And in the midst of all the busyness, it, it really can be hard to lose sight or it can be easy to lose sight of what Christmas is, is ultimately about. Um, you know, and the world will tell us things like, you know, it's about peace and Christmas. Oh, Christmas is about joy or it's about family. Or people say, oh, Christmas, it's about, it's about the spirit of giving or even the spirit of Christmas. Like that's some sort of thing, the spirit of Christmas. Like what is that? I don't even know what the spirit of Christmas is, but the world talks about it. They make movies about it. But as Christians, of course, we think of the birth of Jesus, right? Um, we think of the nativity story. And many of us are familiar with the stories from, from Matthew and Luke, you know, the angel appearing to Mary, Mary submitting to the will of God, or, or Joseph stepping out in faith to uh, make Mary his wife and not divorce her. We think about, you know, the shepherds hearing the news in, in the field that night, the, the baby, of course, in the manger, and the manger is sort of like symbolic of, of all that Christmas means to us, and there's the wise men coming later on and, and worshiping Jesus, and, and all of those aspects of the, the nativity story are important, but of course, they're not, they're not central. So this morning, we want to to draw our attention to what is central for us as believers of Jesus in the Christmas message. Um, The Gospel of Matthew tells the account of an angel appearing to Joseph, and he tells Joseph, don't be afraid to make Mary your wife. Um, And he says this, the angel says this, the baby in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she's going to have a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew adds this. He says, all this took place to fulfill the words of the ancient prophet. We read earlier uh, from from Isaiah. This comes from Isaiah 7, 14. Matthew quotes, he says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so Matthew here is saying, look, all this is happening is fulfilling the prophecy from Isaiah. And Emmanuel is a Hebrew word. It means God with us. God with us. And that, that's it right there, right? That's what Christmas is about. Emmanuel, God with us. God came down. 
God came down. You're, you're in a series this month in the, in the Gospel of John, um, in the opening uh, chapter, chapter one. We're going to look at chapter one again this morning if you want to flip open there. should be page 886 if you're using one of your, your Bibles from the chair there. You looked last week at the opening verses of John chapter one. This morning we're going to focus on, on 9 through 14. We're going to focus on 9 through 14, but I actually want to read back over the opening verses uh, and kind of just get a running start this morning and, and see where, where we were last week. Um, the Gospel of John opens at the beginning, like all the Gospels, but John's like, hey, I'm going to take you way back, not just to the beginning as in the birth of Jesus, but I'm going to take you to the beginning, in fact, before the birth of, of the whole world. And as he does, he introduces this concept of Emmanuel. He doesn't use the word, but the concept Emmanuel, God with us, is very much in the opening chapters of of John's gospel. So we're going to pick up, as I said, I'm going to start just in in verse 1 and and just read read from where we were last week, where you were last week. But I'm going to go ahead and pause and just ask the Lord to be with us again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace your goodness to us. We thank you that you're not only creator, but your father and savior. And I just ask now that you would send your Holy Spirit. Pray, Father, that you send your Holy Spirit into our hearts, into my mouth to clarify um, the word this morning, into our ears. I pray for just an attentive spirit, and I pray just for a softness, God, in our hearts to be encouraged, to be challenged this morning, that we would grow in faith, that we would grow more and more into the image of God as we remember that you came to us, that you came to us. Bless now the reading and the unpacking of your word in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Just pause there for a moment. Again, we read these familiar words that you heard so beautifully unpacked last week. In the beginning was the word. This this word was with God from, from the beginning of, of everything, in fact, the word was God himself. The idea of God there, logos in the Greek, is, is sort of the self-expression of God. He's the, the revelation of God, that, that, that person of God that interacts with creation. Person of God that interacts with creation, that comes down as, as a revelation. This is the second person of the Trinity, right? This is God the Son, the coming Savior, and, and John here is intentionally using a very broad concept, even a universal term, to describe Jesus in his eternal, his supreme nature prior to coming to earth. Verse 3 says that everything that exists came into existence through the word, that in him was life, and that life has now come and give, giving light to all humanity. The light of Christ shines into the darkness. It says pushes out the darkness. And then in verses 6 through 8, introduces this, this guy, John the Baptist, this man sent from God. And, and John clarifies, look, he's not the light, okay, but he came as a witness. He came to, to point you, to prepare you for the light. You're going to talk more next week about John's role in preparing the way for Jesus. But I want to pick back up now in verse 9, and we're going to look at this idea of Jesus as Emmanuel. We're going to draw out a few things about what it means that Jesus is our Emmanuel. So read again with me in verse 9. 
The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Amen. So, so verse 14 is actually like the pinnacle of this whole opening section. It sets the foundation for all the other verses in this section. And so I actually want to begin in verse 14. We see here this eternal word, the supreme being, became flesh. Right, so verse 1, we, we heard that the word was pre-existent, and now we're reading that the word has become flesh. So there's a change in state, right? Something is happening here. The creator of all things has now entered into our created world, become a temporal, physical being. One commentator said it like this, Christ entered into a new dimension of existence through the gateway of human birth and took up residence among human beings. That's what's happening here as the word becomes flesh. This is what we call the incarnation, right? Anybody familiar with Latin? Okay, incarnation comes from the Latin. It means, it means taking on flesh. It means to take on flesh. So in Jesus, what we see is that God has come down. He's become flesh. The divine has become human, the incarnation of God in the flesh is the essence of Emmanuel. It's the essence of God with us, what we are celebrating in Advent in the coming of Jesus at Christmas. Theologian John Murray says this about the incarnation. The infinite became the finite. The eternal entered time and became subject to its conditions. The immutable became the mutable. The invisible became the visible. The creator became the created. The sustainer of all became dependent. God became man. This beautiful, mysterious truth. Now look, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, he didn't cease becoming God when he took on flesh and was born as a human. Right? And he wasn't God that merely looked like a human. He remained fully God and became fully human. A divine nature and a human nature united together in one being, one person, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says the word dwelt among us. Literally, this, this language in the Greek is something like he, he set up his tent he set up his tabernacle, and he, he's living temporarily with us, right? Jesus wasn't here permanently on earth, and this language of, of tent or tabernacle calls to mind the period when God's people, the Israelites, were nomads, right? And they're wandering around in the wilderness, they're traveling, and they would set up a tent, this big fancy tent, their tabernacle of worship, and that's where they would offer sacrifices and prayers, and that's in the Holy of Holy where the presence of God was to dwell, Right? The presence of God on earth was represented in this mobile, nomadic tabernacle in the wilderness. And John is calling to mind that and saying, now the presence of God is on earth in Jesus. In the incarnation, this union of divine nature and human nature, Emmanuel, God now in earth, on earth, dwelling among us. See, Jesus as our Emmanuel firstly means that God came down. He came down to us. 
Now, from the very beginning, humanity was in a desperate situation. Ever since the rebellion of Adam and Eve, when humanity chose to turn away from God to live for themselves, but God did not turn from his people. And so for generations, God reached out to his people, and he sent person after person, leader after leader, to draw them back. And we read in the Old Testament about the prophets and the priests and the kings and the judges and heroes like Moses and Joshua and David and Elijah. But again and again, all of our heroes of the faith failed. They failed to fully reconcile and restore humanity. Now, of course, God knew that none of these Leaders, none of these heroes would ultimately fix humanity's problem. He knew that that the only way to get it done, he knew that one day he himself would have to come down. He himself would have to come down to earth. And so throughout scripture we hear whispers. We hear whispers of the reality that God is, is going to come, that the Messiah is going to be God himself. And so we, we read things like Isaiah 7 where he's giving, God is giving King Ahaz a sign of, of future hope. And he says, the sign Ahaz that I'm going to give you is the sign of the birth of a child that's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. In other words, Ahaz, I'm going to come myself to have to clean up this mess and right what's wrong and bring humanity back to myself. I remember a time as a kid, we were in another town visiting with the family and, and having lunch. And after we finished up, we, the, the, the kids, my siblings, and the, and the other kids from this family walked down the street, I don't know, a couple blocks, half a mile, whatever, to like the elementary school. And we're hanging out, playing on the playground, and I decide I'm going to climb up on top of a field hockey goal. And so I climb up on top of a field hockey goal, and, and we're playing and having fun. And after a few minutes, I realize, as easy as it was to get up there, I realize I, I'm scared to climb down. Like, and, I, and I begin to get terrified. I begin to get afraid. Now, in case you're wondering, I checked a field hockey goal was seven feet tall. Okay, now I would like to tell you that this story took place when I was like three, okay, but I, I, I don't remember the exact age. I was probably like six or seven, stuck seven feet above the ground, terrified. So my siblings trying to coax me to come down, the friends that we were with trying to encourage me, okay, but, but they're just kids as well, and seven feet is not a big deal to me now, but at the time, that, that was really tall. And so after what seemed like hours at the top of this field hockey goal, I, I finally came to the, the like, I'm just stuck. I'm going to be here forever. You know, I, there's no way I'm coming down. Well, fortunately, one of my siblings had more hope than I did, and so they walked back to the house to get help. And I remember, I remember my dad showing up and knowing everything's good. I, I'm going to be okay now. And I remember his, his arms reaching up to what me seemed like, you know, stories tall, reaching up to the top of the seven feet and grabbing me under the shoulders and, and very simply, very easily, without any effort or energy or difficult, just, just lifting me down and setting me back on the ground. And, and that, that was it. Now, here's the thing. While, while this was, it was a, a simple dilemma, right? It was beyond my ability to get out of. It was beyond the ability of my peers to help me or, or to assist me. It was a relatively small thing to my father that was completely overwhelming, completely beyond my ability. I was frozen in fear. Now, this was an easy thing. My, my dad could have sent any adult. He could have sent a friend. He could have sent a neighbor. But the thing that I remember about that day is that in what to me was an immense time of need, my dad came. My father came to me. 
And, and that's what Emmanuel means, right? God didn't look at our problem of sin. He didn't look at the overwhelming evil and brokenness of the world. He didn't look at the, the looming threat of death that, that hangs over all of us. And he didn't say, I'll send somebody right down. Let me find a prophet. Let me find an angel. Let me find somebody that can, that can come down and help you. God himself came down to meet us and to rescue us. See, our God is not distant. He's not removed or impersonal. He is Emmanuel. He is God in the flesh dwelling among us, with us, in the darkness, in the muck of life. That's what Emmanuel means. It means that God himself has come down to rescue us. And as we know, that baby grew up and he, he died on the cross. He rose again in new life. And through faith, our old life can be put to death. Through faith, our new life through the resurrection can be, can be born again in us. God came down and so God knows. He knows what it's like to live in the midst of a dark world. He knows what it's like to live in the midst of, of a sinful world because he lived here. And so all of the pressures and the struggles and the hardships of this life, the things that you felt this week, and I felt some of those this week as well. As I, as I had some relational conflict in ministry this week and I had, had somebody accusing me and I had to ask for forgiveness and I felt some of those pressures of the unfairness of this world and God knows that. He knows those pressures and those struggles because everything that you went through in this life, in this week, every pain, every temptation, every struggle, every failure, everything that has let you down, every accusation made against you, everything in this life that's made you want to give up, God in the flesh has known firsthand. He can identify with you because he's been there. Hebrews says that he sympathizes with our weakness because he's been tempted in every way that we have been. Why? Because he came. He is Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. He cares for us. He comes to you. He is intimately and personally concerned about your broken condition. So first of all, we see from this passage that Emmanuel means that God came down. Secondly, we see that Emmanuel shows us the glory of God. Look again at verse 14. As I said, this verse is so foundational. I feel like I needed to, to start here before we unpack the rest. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says that we, he and the other disciples, saw the glory of this eternal word, the full splendor, the full revelation of God. This word manifested the glory of God, the greatest possible expression of God and all of his attributes. See, when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the fullness of God, his full weight, all of his beauty and power and splendor, his love and his holiness. The glory of Emmanuel, God on earth, John says, was full of grace and truth. He lived out the divine grace, the divine truth as the creator, the God of all things. This was a glory that could only be revealed by the Son from the Father. Verse 14 says Jesus was the only son from the Father. Now we call Jesus son of God. Let me clarify two aspects about what we mean when we call Jesus the son of God. First, understanding Jesus, Emmanuel, as the son of God, this speaks mainly of his identity, his relationship to God the Father. So we, so we think about God as three, as one, this tri-unity, this trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so the Father loves the Son, with the heart of a father. And the son in turn trusts 
and submits to the Father like a son. So calling Jesus son is, is about relationship. Jesus being the son of God doesn't imply anything about his origins. We need to clarify that. Right? So I, I have two sons. I have two sons, two daughters. Now, me calling them my sons, they're my biological sons, that means I fathered them. That means that I existed before them and I had some role in bringing them into existence, right? I came before them. But this is not what what John means, this is not what the scriptures mean when they describe the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, as the Son of God. Because John has just said in chapter, in verse 1, right, Jesus is pre-existent. He was around from the beginning, before eternity passed, And so Jesus as son of God is about relationship, not origin. Secondly, while Jesus as the son of God speaks about his identity and his relationship to God the Father, it doesn't mean that he's lesser than God the Father. So again, you know, my two sons, sorry guys, but you're not fully grown, okay? And and so the reality is you don't have the same power as me, the same authority, you don't have the same wisdom as even though sometimes you think you do. You don't have the same maturity as me, right? Culturally, legally, my sons are not equal to me at this point in their life. That's just, that's just the reality. This is not the case when John describes Jesus as the only son from the Father. He actually does mean, saying that actually does mean that God the Son is equal with God the Father. The ESV translates that as, as only son, Okay, this is where the old King James uses the word the only begotten son. Translations like the NIV or, or the, the Christian Standard Bible, they, they say here the, the one and only son of God. See, see the idea here in the Greek is the, the singular, singular uniqueness of God's son. That he is equal with God and there is no other equal in heaven and on earth. Jesus Emmanuel holds a, a special unique place in the Trinity. This concept continues to to play a part in John's gospel. Later in chapter 5, Jesus calls God his own father. And you know what happens? The Jewish leaders want to kill him. They say, you can't call God your father because when you do that, you're making yourself equal with God. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's the point. That's what I'm trying to communicate. They wanted to kill him because they understood what he meant. See, particularly in ancient culture, An adult son held the same power, the same authority and rights and privileges, the same resources as his father. And if you heard an adult son speak, you were hearing the father. If you saw an adult son, you were in essence seeing the father. See, God the son is the exact representation of God the father and all of his power, all of his authority, all of his attributes. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And this is what John is getting at when he says, we saw the glory of Jesus, glory as of the one and only Son from the Father. See, Jesus as our Emmanuel shows us the very glory of God, the fullness of who God is. The author of Hebrews says this in the opening of chapter one. He says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, the son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You want to know God? You want to see God? Jesus came, Son of God, fully God, to show us the full glory of God. Look, this Christmas... People are going to be talking about crazy stuff. They're going to be talking about goodwill towards men and, and kindness and, and you know, giving. But, but many people are going to have a heightened spiritual awareness in the next month. And, and some people in the midst of Christmas, and for some it's a time of grief and sorrow looking back at what they've lost. For others it's a time of, of family. For others it's a time of looking forward to, to gifts and excitement. But for some people in this season there's this heightened spiritual awareness, right? And some, some people in the midst of that are going to want to know God going to want to feel close to God. So I'm here this morning. You, you want to know God? You want to experience God? You want to be close to your creator and understand what life is about? You want to, you want to know the, the glory of God? Draw close to Jesus. And, and let's show our world. As, as we connect with family and friends that don't know their creator, that don't know their heavenly father, that haven't been forgiven and reconciled back to God, let's show them the glory of God. Let's show them Jesus. Let's, let's live as followers of Christ. Let's speak to them about the glory and the beauty of who Jesus is, of what he's done as Emmanuel, as God in the flesh, God with us. Now, I, I know we're out of order, but I want to jump back up and, and now unpack verses 9 through 13. So we've seen that Emmanuel means God has come down. We've seen that Emmanuel means that, that God is, is with us. The full glory of God manifest on earth. Jump back up with me in verses 9 through 113. And we're going to see how Jesus as Emmanuel gives us the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. Verse 9 kind of jumps back and continues the theme of the opening verses. Verse 9 says that the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Right? So Jesus, as light, filled the world, brought life, just as at the first creation. Just as at the first creation, light brought life into the world. Now God is doing a recreation, and so Jesus is coming as light to bring life into the world. Now, unfortunately, there's difficulty. There's a problem, because while Jesus made the world and has now come into the world, verse 10 tells us, but the world didn't know him. Okay? They didn't recognize him as the Son of God. They didn't validate his claims. They didn't submit to him as Savior. They didn't see him as God in the flesh. Now, now really, this is not so bad when you think about world as like a big, broad term. Because you can sort of expect, okay, well, sure, maybe not the whole world is going to get it of who Jesus was. But it gets worse. Because verse 11 says he came to his own. And even his own people didn't receive him. Right? His own there is a reference to the Israelites. The people of the covenant, the people that had been serving and following the one true God, Yahweh, for generations. But by and large, in Jesus' day, the Jews didn't receive him as Savior. They, they had the prophecies about the coming Messiah. They, they were actually looking for God. They were looking for him. And when he stood right in front of him, in front of them, they didn't, they didn't see him. The exact imprint of his nature and they missed him. Jesus came to his own, but even his own did not receive him. But thankfully, not everyone rejected him because verse 12 says that there are some. There are some who received him and believe in his name. 
See, to believe in the name of Jesus means you welcome him in your life. You trust him. You accept him and his message. You, the, the name of Jesus represents the fullness of who he is, welcoming and accepting and submitting to him as Savior. In his miraculous birth, in his perfect, beautifully loving, righteous life, in his substitute death on the cross, in our place, in his victorious resurrection, in his return one day to us, to, to believe in his name means you receive all of this. And verse 12 says that those who believe in Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. See, we're, while we're naturally God's children in terms of creation, okay, in the sense of redemption, in the sense of redemption from our sin, we have to become God's children. We don't, we're not naturally in that state. We have to be given the right. Now, this word right is interesting. It's this concept of authority. To have the right in this sense means that you have the personal power, you have the control of your own choices to be able to say, yes, I believe. But the reality is that apart from God's grace, all of us are stuck in our rebellion. We're stuck in our rebellion. We're bound to choose evil. And only God, only God can release us from that slavery to our wicked choices and empower us with the authority to choose Jesus, to say, yes, I will serve a new master. I will serve the one true God. And those who do, who have that right, have the privilege of becoming God's children. We can now look to God and just as... It's amazing. Just as Jesus called God Father, we now, in Christ, through faith in Christ, through his death and resurrection, we too can call God Father. And we can receive his love and his care as our Father in heaven. How do we get there? How do we get to that place of, of belief, of calling God Father? I, I spent some time with a man and his wife on Friday, and, and this woman is terminally ill. She's dying, and this, this man is, is afraid, and he's concerned, and he said to me, how do I know where she's going, and how do I know I can be there with her one day? Isn't that a great question? Wouldn't you love to have everybody you meet ask you that question? And, and this is what I unpacked for them. I said, you have to be born. You have to become God's children. As the Gospel of John goes on to explain later, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. You have to become children of God by receiving the Son of God. It's not through what you do. It's not through obedient actions or, or righteousness or, or, or faithfulness or going to church or, or doing the right things because half the time we do the right things for the wrong reasons. You have to be born and I'm sitting there with this 65-year-old man who, whose wife has maybe a couple weeks left to live. And I said, you need to be born again. Accepting Christ. And just as, as you didn't play an active role in your natural birth, you don't play any active role in your spiritual birth. John unpacks there in verse 13. He said, it's not a birth of blood. In other words, it's not because of your bloodline. It's not from being a Jew, from being a descendant of Abraham. It's not from growing up in a Christian family. And I don't know how many times people, when they find out I'm a pastor, they say, oh, my grandfather was a pastor. My brother-in-law was a pastor. My roommate had a cousin who was a pastor. And, right, it's not, a, it's not your blood. It's not your bloodline. It's not, it's not who you know. 
It's also not from the will of your own flesh, he says. In other words, not from your own energy, not from any decision inside of you. I'm just going to decide to become a, a child of God. That's not how it works naturally. That's not how it works spiritually. He also says there it's not, it's not the will of man, meaning it's not, it's not from the choice of another human. Right? You can choose to make someone your child. You can choose to adopt them, but you cannot make that choice for somebody else. I cannot decide for you. You cannot decide for someone else. It's not of blood. It's not of the will of the flesh. It's not of the will of man. Those who are born again, who receive Jesus, who become children of God, they are born again by God's work, by new life, through the Holy Spirit, at work in your heart. The Holy Spirit at work in your heart, releasing you from your selfish sin, empowering you with faith, enabling you to trust in Jesus, Emmanuel, the one that came, that lived, that died, that rose again. See, Jesus, our Emmanuel, means that, that we now, through faith, have the right to become children of God. You cannot get up to God on your own. And you cannot get down from your sinful perch on your own. And the sinful trap of, of, of life and of worldliness and, and your own selfishness. And, and some, for some of us, even a desire to be godly, but we cannot know God on our own. And so this morning, the call, the exhortation, the reminder is confess. Confess and say, God, I'm stuck. I'm stuck up here on my sinful perch. I cannot get down and I cannot get up to you. Confess that you need to be rescued. And then receive Jesus, Emmanuel. Believe in his name. Believe in his death. Believe that he died and received the penalty for all the wrongs that you've done. Believe in his resurrection, that he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and the devil. And through faith, you can now be filled with the same Holy Spirit, the Bible says. The same Holy Spirit that gave him physical life can now give you spiritual life and can give you eternal life that begins now and goes on forever. Give your life to Emmanuel and then live with him. Walk with him. Walk with him in his grace. Walk with him by his love for you in the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, came down to us. He cares about you. He came in the full glory of God to show you who God is. He came down for you. Now trust him and walk in faith with him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the beauty of Scripture, for the Spirit-filled Word of God that brings truth to us, that brings encouragement and conviction to our hearts. We thank you for the body of believers that we don't have to read these complicated things and try to figure them out and unpack them on our own. We thank you for, for pastors and friends and mentors and a community of faith where we can wrestle through what does it mean to know God and follow him. We thank you that this Christmas that we're not just celebrate some, some vague, abstract, feel-good spirit. We, we worship the Emmanuel. We celebrate his coming, that God came down, that you showed us your full glory, and, and you've given us the right to become your sons and daughters. And so would you even now fill us with faith? Would you even now fill us with faith, enough faith to cry out for forgiveness, to cry out for new life? Send your Holy Spirit that we could show the world Jesus, that we could show them the glory of God and invite them into a life of faith with the God that came down for us. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus to God our Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.